especially at this time of year, I think we're all acutely reminded of just how deep our feelings about food run. It's why certain foods give us so much comfort, perhaps because a parent used to make a certain dish anytime we were sad or under the weather, or how around the holidays, so many of us make the exact same dishes over and over again and give side-eye to anyone who tries to come up with a quote-unquote modern twist on those beloved meals, which is why I'm so excited to talk to Asha Wielden today. It was Asha's love of Afro-Caribbean flavors that she grew up with in Kenya and Toronto that inspired her to start her own food business, Kula. I've had the privilege of being fed by Asha a couple of times and eating all the Kula favorites, so I am excited to share her story of food, community, and entrepreneurship with you all. Hello, friends. My name is Desiree Nielsen, and you are listening to the All Sorts Podcast, where we're on a mission to make wellness not suck. I started this podcast because I wanted to create a space where you could access evidence-based, positive, and actually useful information about taking care of yourself. And as a cookbook author and recipe developer and heck, just someone who really loves food, I think that way too often in the wellness space, we completely forget to celebrate food in all its forms and the pleasure that it brings to our lives. Because food isn't just about nutrition. It's about culture, connection, and yes, joy. And in my conversation with Asha, we learn all about the role that food played in her family life in rural Kenya as a child and how that changed or didn't when she moved to Toronto, Canada as a preteen. We talk about how a telecom professional with zero entrepreneurship experience managed to start a food business with a toddler in tow, hot on the heels of a global pandemic, by the way, and what she's learned about herself along the way. Asha has such a generous and warm spirit, and I know you'll love learning more about her journey. So let's dive in. I wanted to talk to you for so many reasons. I love what you're doing at Kula. Uh, you are also just this like incredible light, and I want people to hear from you, hear your perspective on things, uh, hear your story. So I feel like we should start at like the very beginning, which is you know like growing okay. up. Like, what was little Asha like? What was the role that food played in your life? I, you know, for, for me, I was always an introvert, introverted kid, very quiet, very observant. I was surrounded by family, so a lot of a lot of people in my life. So I, I, I grew up in Kenya and lived with my grandparents for like, you know, I would say for eight years and in a very rural area where it's like, like your family is your community. You have different family members that live around you. And it's really culturally centered in a very rural town. The town is called Isiolo, Isiolo in Kenya. And uh, yeah, I was very like observant. I think that's one of the things I, I noticed. And where I grew up, there's a lot of storytelling and a lot of conversations with elders. So I spent a lot of time with elders in my community. And so food also kind of was embedded in that in terms of Things that I think I definitely took away in my experience is that communal sharing experience. And just like as a kid observing and being part of it, of course, but observing how like my family was able to use like as in ingredients like grains, you know, that turn into flour, you kind of see that process. And I kind of, I saw that with my mom as well here in Canada, where she really made food from scratch. We barely saw a lot of like ready-made food that came in. And so that's, that's what's stood out for me is like the labor of love around food and that communal experience for sure. But yeah, I was, I was a very, I wasn't, I was like, it's not timid, but very observant. 
very, very observant. Well, and I think with all of that family life swirling around you as well, like what was your role mm-hmm. as a child? Like were you, was it very much the elders preparing the food or did the kids get involved? Did you get involved? What was that like? Yeah. Oh, no, kids yeah. got involved. You learned. Um, so just to kind of get paint a, a clearer picture. So I grew up in a very rural town where, you know, beyond like the labor of love around food, you, you labor to get water, you, you labor to grow your food animals were, you know, taken care of in, in, you know, on on our communal property. And part of that is also learning how to cook at an early age. And so like, it, it was quite ingrained really early on from basics of, you know, cooking some of our staples like chapati or, you know, even how to cut vegetables. Yeah. Very, very much involved. And And I think as growing up and coming, coming to Canada, I always played an older sister role. So yeah, nurturing and, and, and being involved in food preparation has always been, yeah, part of my life and I guess my my identity in some ways. I had, you know, the similar experience of like with my grandmother. So our house yeah. was, it revolved around food. You know, like breakfast was made, breakfast was cleaned up, and then lunch got started. And it was, you know... yeah obviously different because I grew up here in Canada, but like that idea that like food was the, the clock, you know, it was the clock of daily life. Like it's like we gathered, we we pulled apart, we gathered again, we pulled apart. At what age did you come to Canada and how did you, how did you sort of reconcile your, your food life in Kenya coming to Canada because you said your mother still cooked mostly everything from scratch. Like, were you exposed to like, mm-hmm. what are all these weird boxes and things in the supermarket? Like, what do I do right? with these? Yeah. It's a funny story. So like, again, coming from Isiolo, I remember, so I was traveling with my, my brother when, when I, my mom was already in Canada, uh, when I joined her and my siblings and there was like on the plane, they presented this yellow thing wrapped in plastic. And now I know it as cheddar cheese at that time. And it was the strangest thing to see this plastic presented as food. And that's all I saw. I was 10 years old, right? So I'm looking at, or I was 11 years old, looking at this plastic wrapping. And it's my brother knew a little better. He was older. So he was like, this is cheese. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like staring at it. Didn't eat it. Yeah, I found it quite bizarre with the packaged packaged uh, food overall. And then just the concept of, you know, I didn't grow up with, on cheese. Yeah. So like that was one thing that was surprising. I think buying milk at a, like, I think even grocery, the the idea of the way grocery was was introduced to, my, to myself, that was a bit of a shock. And of course, everything is boxed up or, you know, in bags or cartons wasn't used to it like even the milk that was presented in Kenya like where I grew up it was in a in a neighborhood and you know there was a glass jar of some sort that 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 it was uh, contained in uh, which was often reused so that's yeah it's the packaging was was interesting which translated to food and I think the biggest thing for me was also how we consumed. It was always on the go, mm-hmm. like the idea of like even how lunch was enjoyed at school and, you know, the fact that it's pre-packed. Now I have two kids and in that, you know, I'm packing their lunch <laughs> every single day and, you know, it's mostly cold items that they're eating. And I was really accustomed to hot food. You know, it's warm versus a uh, cold, you know, sandwich. Yeah. So, yeah, it was quite a culture shock for me. 
like never had burgers. I didn't have a burger. And this is the first time I'm actually talking about it. I can't believe it. I didn't have a burger till I was probably 11 or 12 years old. Yeah. Right. It's wild. Yeah. 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 So, so definitely a shock. I would say it was a shock to the system. And what were some of your favorite foods growing up? And then when you came to Canada, like, like which one of our Canadian staples were you like, oh yeah, this is all right. I can get behind this. Yeah. 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 My favorite food to this day is going to be, we consider this the port, it's considered a staple in certain places in certain regions uh, in Kenya, but it's called Sukumawiki no Gali. And it's like a, a poor person's food. It's uh, supposed to be one of the most accessible items. It's essentially cornmeal that's been cooked into consistency, like a dough, and it becomes a, like a utensil that you eat with sautéed veg. And it could be collard greens. That's my favorite. But it could be also cabbage, kale, any leafy green. You could add proteins in there. So that's that's always been my go-to, and that's my go-to when... If I'm cooking just for myself, that's literally... that's I'm good with that. Cere- you know, cere- Cheerios specifically with milk was... The first thing that I was like, okay, <laughs> this reminds me a little bit of porridge, but a little more texture. So I, I got, I really got interested in that. Yeah, that's that stands out for me. What else was it? It was a, the first year was really hard for me. The adjustment yeah. to, yeah, I really didn't adjust as easily. I would say pizza eventually. Like I, I really, I love bread. <laughs> I love bread. <laughs> so pizza was uh, was one of the, was definitely Cheerios and then pizza. Universal food. Growing up, I yeah. disliked cereal so much. And really? all I all I wanted was because I would see on the Saturday morning cartoons that there would be toys. And so mm. I would like beg my grandparents or my mom to buy cereal. And they say, you never eat it. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm going to eat it this time. And like every <laughs> single time, Saturday morning into the box, I just dumped it toys. all out into a big bowl <laughs> and grabbed the toy that's, and put it all just, back. That's all you wanted. That's all you wanted. And surprise, right? Surprise yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. all the grownups had to eat the cereal. Of course, of course. <laughs> you know, you're fully vegan now. I but am. Were, were your sort of like the foods of your upbringing largely plant-based? Like at what point were you like, oh, maybe plants are the thing? Like was meat a big thing mm-hmm. growing up? At what point did you decide to pull away from that? Okay, so in Kenya, you mostly eat vegetarian. So it's, it's mostly veg heavy because it's accessible. Uh, at least where in the northern part, that's we we lived off the land mostly, and and it's and then animal consumption. Because here's the thing: I had a, a very different relationship with animals because my my grandfather and some of my family members also had animals. I'll talk a little bit about my ancestors. So they they were nomads that originated from Ethiopia and Somalia, and a lot of them settled mostly in the in the northern parts of East Africa. Kenya specifically, where a lot of them are, they traveled with the animals, they herded animals, um, like goat, sheep. And so that continued on. And I, and I grew up raising animals with my my uh, my grandfather. And it's often like it was the currency in terms of trade. So trade for land, trade for for food, businesses. So that, that's, that was the purpose of it. And like, so consumption of animals uh, were typically... It occurred when there was some sort of a celebration. It could be a wedding. It could be, you know, a transition in life, um, coming of a certain age. 
so there was a difference for me uh, because I got to know these animals as a kid, right? So yeah, I didn't consume a lot of meat. And at that point, I didn't really connect. All, yes, I knew animals were, you know, consumed because I, I definitely ate chicken and, and, and all that. And so moving forward, coming to Canada, I noticed it was way more meat heavy, right? So some of the foods I grew up eating uh, that were meat heavy at that period was like injera, which is a staple in our in it's Ethiopian dish that usually has a stew that is meat based. There are some veg, veg, vegetarian options, but in the household, often there there was a lot of like goat and beef and and chicken. Where I really felt, and I, but then the funny thing is the fillers were still a lot, a lot of vegetables mm -hmm. because again, my mom cooked a lot of whole foods. She really raised us on whole foods diet, like, and vegetables, grains, whole grains. Uh, she was very mindful of that. So we, we had a pretty good mix, but, um, as I got older, you know, I think like, I would say late teens to mid twenties, it became like fully a lot of North American food, which is burgers, pizza, all, all involved, all types of meat. And that's when my body kind of started reacting. So uh, around the time I was 25, I noticed I would, I would get like, like my system just kind of would shut down. I have a lot of heartburn. I wouldn't digest food very well. And so then I stopped consuming red meat as an initial step and then chicken. And when I, this went on for two years, but again, didn't really connect. I was like red meat. For some reason, that came up often when I went to see my doctor, and then I kind of fell back again, and I would consume more, more meat than I really should have. And what's interesting is, so I'll, I'll actually get to that point because there's a whole circle. Okay, there's a full circle. I love it. But I, you know, when I moved to Vancouver in in 2015, I I had a, I would say a spiritual awakening, but there was a re, like some sort of a connect reconnection. I met my my husband who's my husband now, and I met his family and his mother was a pretty long-term vegan or more plant-forward, so she did not consume animals for over nine years. Wow. My brother-in-law, who has been, who was an, he's a, who was, who, he was an activist and like really, you know, showed me, I kind of learned just by listening to some of their stories and I, we had some really interesting conversations and it kind of brought me back to that period where I was like, Oh, my, my, my system was just not managing consuming animals, you know, very well. And I was getting the warnings and I kind of listened to my instincts for a bit. And then I kind of stepped back. So that's, that was like my first step. 2015 is when I really started re like just removing, you know, any animal based food off my plate. And I started, I just started feeling really great. At the same time, I was new to Vancouver mm -hmm. and being a foodie, I like, and being an introvert, the best way for me to meet friends is like and bring them to my home. And so I started cooking and that's how Zach and I met um, actually. And so I would make some of like my um, traditional foods plant-based and it was, it was really great cooking. The cooking experience changed. It was much mm -hmm. faster, a lot more enjoyable for sure. And exciting. There was a lot of excitement around it. And, you know, I think what's interesting is that's what brought me to starting Kula. Like Kula has always been a plant-based, you know, a vegan brand. So in some ways there was like a great connection there of a journey uh, that I needed to sort of experience. Mm. So <laughs> fast forward, it was a year, a year ago, my doctor did, you know, did our, the usual testing, make sure everything's good during the checkup. 
And then she calls me, you know, first off, you get the the email or I got a notification that my doctor wants to talk to him. I'm like, oh, this is oh, no. <laughs> And then <laughs> you freak out matter? for however many days. I'm, freaking, you have- I'm like searching everything, research, oh, what could be wrong? And it turns out that I I have high cholesterol <laughs> and my, I naturally produce because she does, mm-hmm. uh, she, she understands that I, I am on a plant-based diet and I don't consume anything necessarily that should be producing yeah. uh, cholesterol. And so she was like, yeah, it seems like it could be genetic. You actually may be, you may genetically be producing this much. And I had to, I kind of adjusted a couple of things in terms of exercise and, you know, the usual, but I had a moment of thought. I'm like, oh, so I I needed to do this. (laughs) I needed to change because like considering, you know, thinking of my late, teens to mm-hmm. mid twenties, I was, I was really not eating the, I wasn't eating for, for my benefit. Like it wasn't really helping me. And I was, you know, I may have at some point ignored some of the signs. And so if I continued on, who knows what would have happened. Right. So that, that was kind of a shock, but then on the more spiritual sense of like, I've never felt so aligned, you know, with, with the change. And so I, I do, I do say I'm vegan. I do believe, you know, learning i think having my eyes opened from family and seeing their perspective in the sort of impact we could have by you know simply deciding not to consume beyond just food that we consume but choosing not to consume animals in our daily lives has been like the biggest thing and um yeah i i i always think about that now i'm like this this had to happen <laughs> you know oh gosh like there's so much that i want to unpack there on so many levels but like yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. the first and most basic is that people forget that about cholesterol, that our body makes cholesterol, particularly on the like, you know, animal slash wellness people yes. side where they're like, oh, your body needs cholesterol to make hormones. It's like, no, your body makes enough of it. Thank you very much. Sometimes too much, but like too enough. Much. You do not yeah. need to eat cholesterol to make cholesterol. And and that's why, you know, particularly too, some people might be surprised. We're like, oh, how does a vegan have high cholesterol well because your body makes it and genetically some mm-hmm. of us just mm-hmm. make a lot of it exactly i didn't even think i didn't even consider you know i did not consider as a vegan i didn't even consider that yeah so it's, so it was it's it was very interesting and you're right like we don't we just don't talk about it and i think we yeah we do a disservice you know and mm-hmm. i think for so many of us because we're so excited about living this way about making these choices yeah. that are aligned with our values that we feel are better for animals, better for the planet. We want to sort of paint this utopian picture of as soon as you're vegan, you'll never get sick again or like nothing will ever happen. It's like, well, no, our bodies still have their own unique genetics. You know, our lives have all of these factors, whether we're stressed or, you know, maybe yes. we're not taking the time to cook whole foods take care of ourselves. You know, I think it's so important for us to be open and transparent that yes, mm-hmm. we can be healthy. Yes, we can really really love our choices, but also sometimes things just happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Still a human, uh, you know, still go through everything and and just because you've changed your diet or your not your diet, your lifestyle to veganism. I mean, I I definitely went through my my phase, right? Like I I, I first was consuming things that I was really ingredients that I was very comfortable with, like lentils, beans, whole grains, 
it was not foreign to me. And then it was like all the experimenting, you know, with so like plant-based meats, processed meats, lots of burgers, mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of burgers. And, and I think at this point now it's like a mix of everything. Right. Um, so you, you, you do go through all these transitions and I wouldn't say like I was on my healthiest of, of all point, but I definitely would say like the first bit, I, I, uh, I saw the difference in, in the way my system, my system worked. Um, and so that was encouraging and it, yeah. it, it allowed me to really like intentionally understand what I was doing. Uh, whereas like in my mid twenties, when I decided to, to not consume certain animals, I didn't know what I was doing except that, Oh, I wasn't feeling well. Yeah. And I didn't really, I couldn't identify what the issue was and, um, I like I didn't take that time to even have a long term a long conversation with my doctor. Yeah, all I took away was you might you might get ulcer in the future. This and this and this, and I was like, okay, let's cut this one out, and then cut this one out. Yeah, and it felt good temporarily. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot more to it, and there's a lot of instincts for sure, but also there are, there's a lot of help there in terms of your health side. Totally. And I think so often yeah. we go it alone. I mean, I know as yes. a dietitian, I'm like, I see people going it alone and like, oh, I'll just cobble together some information from the internet. And like, <laughs> that's all I need. And it was like, well, no. Guilty. Not, yeah. <laughs> you know, Guilty. Yeah, we, we all do it. So like, you know, do I don't do it for nutrition, but then I'm like, oh, what's mm-hmm. this thing on my elbow? And like, let me just mm-hmm. Google that. <laughs> I want to yeah. talk yeah. more about starting Kula. One, because I'm always so in awe of anyone who has the nerve to start a consumer packaged goods business. (sighs) But you, you know, more than that, you know, Kula really feels like a representation of you and what you want to put out in the world and sort of that journey that you are on. So what was it like actually getting Kula off the ground? I like to start with, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I was very, very naive. Still don't know what I'm doing. But um, I, uh, getting started with Kula was like meeting, you know, folks like Zach who were like, oh, this is interesting. And then observing the landscape in Vancouver and seeing so many great food options. For me, I really wanted, I wanted to, I wanted for myself, like I wanted Caribbean East African, West African food. And I didn't, I didn't really see much of it that's plant-based. I, I could say right now in Canada specifically, I, I just didn't see it. But in that, at that time in Vancouver. And so my background is in, in telecom uh, for 15 years. And I was, uh, my daughter was just born, you know, a year before we launched. And so I was kind of at the crossroads of thinking about what's next? You know, now, now my life has changed. I now have a human little being that I need to take care of. You know, I have to consider her food. I have to think about the time, what kind of time my time is no longer all mine. You know, I've got to be thoughtful to that. Um, and then of course, like, am I loving what I'm doing? And I, I was doing really well, but, um, the passion wasn't there for it. I didn't really, there wasn't a direct alignment. And so, yeah, food was presented as in like, you know, hey, friends, try this out. And to, this is interesting. Um, and so I took some time uh, during that year of mat leave and I uh, attended BCIT for a couple, a couple of months just to do some research and build a business plan because I didn't know what, where to start with, 
with the food business. And then Zach kind of tapped me on the shoulder and was like, Hey, you could do a couple of pop-ups. And so we, we, you know, at that time I had a business partner and we tried that out. It was amazing. Really great turnout for, for, for these events. And then farmer's market just kind of organically landed during a conversation with one of my classmates. And, uh, I went ahead and applied at UBC. They accepted us in and then, and the Vancouver farmer's market. So we launched there with stews because that's what I like. I consume stews a lot and like you can do so much with it. And so we introduced that and sauces. And it was really for me at that period, I was still kind of in the research phase of does this make sense? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, remember the first day in a commercial space, just looking at this huge burner that I've never <laughs> I didn't even know how to turn on. We we specifically started really late when there was a there weren't many people in the kitchen because we were afraid of getting in everyone's way mm-hmm. and like potentially burning the building down. You know, um, small chance, <laughs> just small little chance. Who knows? It took us a while to just figure out how to turn everything on. But yeah, it was it was like going in with in some ways like the research helped because I I have to like I like to know what's ahead generally as the person that I am, but. On the other side, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was doing. And I was kind of like, let's test this out. Let's see what happens and socialize it. But yeah, it was just like the need for, I wanted to see more plant-based food options. And at that time, I didn't even know the the route we were going to go. Like CPG was kind of the thought, but we knew events made sense because we needed to we needed to tell the story and like it's it's in some ways a new concept or food for for a lot of folks in, in in Vancouver and so that was that was that's where we wanted to focus on it's like let's tell the story let's get in front of as many people as possible and then see what happens and that's how it how it started it went from like farmers market to catering and meal prep services we did everything and then finally 2020 yeah, I, we were, we ramped up on the meal services because, you know, in 2020, we all went through a whole new world <laughs> and uh, that digital wor- world that folks were not necessarily able to just go into. We weren't able to go to restaurants. And, and so we introduced online uh, shopping, meals and packaged goods and organically started to like understand that we can reach more people by, by getting these products on shelves. Mm-hmm. What I wasn't prepared for was the road that's ahead. Yeah, <laughs> and for I mean, anyone that's launched a CPG brand understands the nuances of it. It's quite challenging. It's one of the toughest uh, market like industries to break into and stay relevant. But there is a need, so I think identifying ad- identifying the needs of what's needed in the market is what's keeping us going. And so that's where we are now. We are heavily focused on CPG and food service in working with restaurants and uh, food establishments to, to offer a wider variety of plant-based uh, options. Well, and I think one of the things that makes Kula so special is that, you know, it is a really fresh flavor and a new voice, you know, when there's like 75 million potato chips and like 75 million tea brands, your, your sauces and your flavors are are new for many palettes, which, mm-hmm. and I know That's in Vancouver, right. we think of ourselves as very diverse, but we're not like, Toronto is the most diverse city in Canada, like by far yeah. and away. And people mm-hmm. get far more exposure to different cultures and different flavors. And 
Do you find yourself frustrated at times having to say, well, here's what it is? Like, here's what the flavor is. Here's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. It's like, it, you know, the exciting part is you're introducing, you're introducing, uh, we get to introduce flavors that someone has not experienced. Like, and I love doing that. There is, a, there, we often are, we get pushback of like, oh, this is, this is too different. Uh, and I wouldn't say specifically from consumers or our, our like customers, sometimes indirect customers, it's more the buyers and distributors and the retailers that are just like, oh, nope, this won't sell well. The flavor profile is a little unknown or, you know, it's a, and in, in this case, it's also plant-based. It's like two, someone said once to us last year, um, when we started to look for, we were researching and like looking for distributors that we can work with. And they specifically were like, this is too niche And when I hear that, it's like, okay, define that. What is the niche part? Is it the plant-based, which is a very, it's a, it's a growing a segment. More and more folks are in, incorporating more plant-based and more people are, are looking for diverse food options. They want different flavors. And so like the, the, where we, we're challenged with is the unwillingness, mm -hmm. uh, specifically in Canada, I would say, even though, yes, Toronto is diverse, it's like there, are, there is still a, a roadblock with, you know, getting on shelf, not because consumers don't want to see that it's more buyers are a little more resistant to change or incorporating more options. I really enjoy farmer's market because like you, you get to meet folks that are experience the food and those who have not and at the end of the day there's there's something that you know it could be like that familiarity that brings them in or that excitement of something new but also like considering how it makes them feel you mm -hmm. know and um so there's a lot of intention in terms of how we produce the food so yeah it's it's it's, a, it's an ongoing battle and we pick and choose which one we we go after but it's definitely an extra step that it takes us a bit longer to get on shelf. You know, it'll take us a little more to move it off shelf because pilly pilly may not resonate. It probably won't resonate with a lot of people. Yeah. And, and yeah. when you say we have this really delicious hot sauce, you know, and it's, <laughs> yeah. I so appreciate you mentioning that like you really didn't know what you were doing. Cause I think that for anyone out there listening who's thinking about potentially starting their own business, they might think that I'm not ready or mm -hmm. I don't know enough or I don't have anyone in my life who opened a clinic or who started a packaged goods business, so I can't do it myself. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, throughout this process, as Kula has grown and changed and evolved, like, what have you learned about yourself in the process of being an entrepreneur? Ooh. You know, I'm, I, I never thought I was a risk taker. But I, I, I am a risk taker. I've taken a lot of, I've put a lot on, on the table. Like just, I think lifestyle change of being in a very cushy, you know, job situation, nine to five, Monday to Friday with all the benefits, uh, earning a pretty comfortable um, amount of income and all the accolades. Like I literally walked away from that. So that that's one big thing. Like, and then, you know, I have children and I have to consider that I still, I thought, okay, so this is the naive part of myself was like, oh, I'm going to start a business so I can have more time with my family. And that's, it's quite the opposite, actually. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite that's happened. And so, um, yeah, I think I definitely am a, I'm a risk taker in on my personal note. And, and I learned a lot. I think being an entrepreneur, 
I never thought I was going to be an entrepreneur, you know, as an immigrant who was part of a family where my mom was a single mom and she was a refugee woman who had to figure it out with, and she had many kids. And so like survival was, was the biggest part for her. I definitely did not want to have that kind of, um, I didn't want the same journey for, for my children. And so I often chose the safest form of life, including the, the type of work I did and like how I partook in life altogether. But being an entrepreneur definitely changed that for me. And I can see what the long-term gain is, but like that journey has like opened me up to the amount of people, you, like the richness of people you gain in your life is wild. And you learn so much. Like I, I learned about accounting. I'm, I was never great at math. <laughs> never get great at math give me books i'll read it i'll tell stories but i cannot you know but that's one of the things i had to kind of get over and if you learn how to research you're you know you're working with people every day supplying like looking for, i don't even know how we got to the point of finding the supply suppliers that we work with who are all so incredible so there's a lot of there's so much going on today i'm going to be like seeing four different people um, and moving around and I'm going to have to manage my time. Um, so that's, that's like the biggest thing. It's like, I do enjoy risk taking and I see the rewards of it and it doesn't have to be money. And most of the time it's mm -hmm. not actually money because being an entrepreneur does not mean you're going to make money either. <laughs> that's, the other, that's the other part. Um, but you gain so much. There's so much that, that comes to you and, uh, and alignment, just a natural alignment that I have been able to find with it. I can never work. I don't, not to say I can never work for anyone, but I wouldn't be the best employee. It kind of ruins you. I, I remember mm -hmm. seeing somewhere that an entrepreneur is someone who will work 80 hours a week just to avoid working 40 hours a week <laughs> for someone else. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I feel a bit dragged by that yeah. one. But it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. I, There's I get, something I get about why. Mm -hmm. seeing that vision you put out into the world actually manifest itself and yeah. have an impact on other people's lives. And which is probably a good time to ask you, like, what is your vision for the future? What do you see? Like, how do you want Kula to evolve? Because I noticed on your Instagram last week, you know, that you just announced this project to help plant trees in your native Kenya. So tell us a little bit more about that. And like, where else do you want this to go? Oh my gosh, I'm going to try not to be emotional, but like when Very Tree reached out to us, it was just wild because, you know, you, you, you have folks reaching because we are a brand that is really focused on sustainability. We didn't want to just provide, you know, vegan food. It's like, or vegan forward food, plant-based. We wanted something that really did a little more good. And when this is where, this is what's so exciting when you take a step in in starting a brand and one of the four pillars we had we had a, those four pillars and they still remain is sustainability and community community and sustainability are the main ones that have really stuck and so when very tree reached out they just like you kind of you get used to a lot of emails where there's the realness and alignment and then there's the we're sustainable and Da, 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 da. And like, uh, then you start reading into it and you like, look at the details and it, you know, it's more, um, it's not as net positive. So what stood up for, for us was the, the fact that there was a lot of uh, visibility in terms of what's, what 
Vera Tree does with planting trees. But the big step for me is like what it does for the community. You know, at the end of the day, like people are still central in this. And I was very excited. And then, you know, to, to learn that there was an opportunity. I've always wanted, I'm from a very small town where resources are not necessarily coming in and community really comes comes up with their own resource and they, they just figure it out. And so when they reached out to us and we found out we, we could be in a particular region, it was, it was a no-brainer for me that it be Kenya. And, you know, the fact that jobs can be created out of this, it has, you know, full circular motion that off, you know, for the ecosystem and it just has a long-term opportunity for the best impact. It's one of the first steps that I, I think naturally in, in the back of my mind, I knew that I've always wanted to be a part of this. And so, yeah, we're very excited for that. And we're many, we're one of many brands that are as a small, like, I don't want to, I don't want people to think we're a company. We haven't even, we're not making a lot of money, <laughs> right? But a small impact of someone going on our website and purchasing a product goes a long way. And no matter what, we're actually contributing. But in this way, we're able to, to do this as a community, both from here and the larger community globally. And so, well, yeah, we continue. We're going to continue focusing on that and, and uh, widen our network of support and kind of giving back to it. Not just taking is, is the big thing for me and for my team. We are currently working on our B Corp certification as well, uh, which so is, cool. yeah, cent- thank you. It's centered around community for sure and culture. I think we might be one of the first brands that are looking at uh, arts and culture specific to bringing food of African diaspora to a more mainstream uh, because it is, it is a missing point for us in Canada. And, you know, there are more and more folks that are tra- traveling and migrating to Canada who still need access to food that could be reminding them of home. And, um, and of course our communities here that want more. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it's a close alignment with the kind of work we want to be doing. Personally, I've started diving into like, I, you know, in, in those 15 years in telecom, I, I, I focused on coaching and people management. And I want to say I've learned a lot about, about entrepreneurship and specifically in the food business. And so, yeah, I'm trying to find a path where we could help newer businesses as well as they're, um, you know, starting up because like, I didn't know anything. And luckily, you know, I met some incredible people that opened my eyes uh, to some of the things I could do and just like help me through this journey. So I, I really want to lean into that on my own personal side. And as far as cooler growth is going across Canada, we actually will be, you're the first person I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in, in public forum is... We're going to be in Whole Foods this year in Toronto and Vancouver. That's so <laughs> awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, we're just so excited. And so our goal is to make, continue the expansion across Canada. We have a couple of more updates coming up. And we are starting to think, like I didn't think five years ago that there was a potential thought of, of, of even going global. But um, yeah, we're, we're going to strive for that. Uh, you know, Canada, U.S., yeah, around the world, just to, to offer more plant-based options, more culturally relevant food, and, and really just speak to the love of food and what it does, you know, in the ways that we connect. That's, that's the future of Kula right now. I love it. And it the future like. is bright. The future is bright. The future is bright and it's plant-based. 
Okay. I feel like this is the perfect time to switch into the rapid fire questions. And we're going to keep it focused on food. uh, And I'm going to force you to pick favorites. What are some of your favorite spots to eat in the city? Okay. My favorite spots to eat chickpea. If I'm going for brunch, juice truck, I'm getting my juice. I got my juice today at home. So I'm going to chug that down. But juice and like anything I want to have to go quick. Mila, if I'm sitting down. And oh, to live for bakery, all, all my baked goods, uh, all the cakes. So I like, yeah, that's, I go to a lot of plant-based spots and those are, those are some of my favorites. Rise Up, if I'm looking for products from community, uh, if I'm mm-hmm. getting my patties, elbow patties is there. Uh, so that's where I'm going. I'm sorry if I'm missing anyone here. <laughs> you can always email me and we can edit to the yeah, show notes. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. discovered elbow patties through Kula and they're mm-hmm. one of our family's favorites. The best. The everybody loves My kids the love best. Everybody loves them. And Chris is the best who makes them. Okay. So speaking of, what are your kids' favorite foods? My kids' favorite. So mm-hmm. Halle, Hall- Halima likes hot dogs. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know, they've gone through all the different transitions. Like they, mm-hmm. they love they love the stews, but um, yeah, hot dog, a nice vegan hot dog. Luca, Luca's, Luca's, Luca's got my heart. He loves bread. Any, any like sort of bread is he's leaning into that. You can make a gourmet food for for him, but it's a bread. Always. Kids love it. Anything bread. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's a perfect food. Essentially. Pretty amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If money were no object, the next place you'd want to travel. Uh, Yeah. Kenya. Kenya is definitely, yeah. On the list there for a month. Your favorite nature spot in Vancouver? You know what? Simple Trout Lake. I just love, we were just there yesterday. Hallie had, um, Halima had um, their first lemonade stand. But you just, you can walk. It's an easy stroll. You could sit down there, you know, the, the ducks are out. So Trout Lake for me. It's the East Van gem. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's the East Van gem. That's yeah. where we're in East Van as well. So it's, it's easy. We spent a yeah. lot of time there. They have a really good playground. Like a they really do. good playground. Playgrounds. They have multiple True. playgrounds, which is so amazing. Yeah. 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 And they can all, feed the for all ages and you can feed the ducks. Yeah. So if you're not from Vancouver, Trout Lake, Trout, Trout Lake, Lake Farmer's Market, if we're going to combine Trout, both exactly. worlds, if you're here exactly. in the summer, don't miss the Trout Lake Farmer's Market. It's a gem. No, yeah. The best. The best. And, and so close to Commercial Drive, which is another area that I like. I love spending time in. I love this neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Last yeah. one. You know, in this imaginary world where you've got 20 minutes all to yourself and you're not allowed to be productive, mm-hmm. you know, in your work, in your homework, what do you do? 20 minutes all for yourself. So 20 minutes, what I typically like to do is movement, any movement. I know you do nothing, but I, I like to start my day that way in the morning. So it could be a couple of, you know, stretches or it could be dance, but that's, that's the ideal thing for me. It's such a yeah. game changer to put that into your day and just like absolutely flush the brain. I feel like that's what it's doing. Like as I sweat, yeah. it's like my it brain it. that's flushing. I feel it. That's what I feel. I feel it. And then everything is light and I can move a bit lighter. Yeah. And I can feel the difference when I don't do that. And I try to do that almost every single day. Well, Asha, thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and like all of this inspiration for any budding entrepreneurs out there who want to start their own business, you can do it uh, and sharing the magic of Kula with us. 
Absolutely. Desiree, thank you so much. I, I'm in awe of you and I, I love everything you put out. And I think what I love is just the honesty. You know, it's like considerations of like imperfections. Nothing is perfect. Mm. And I really, I, I love, it's always refreshing when I, when I see what you put out there. So thank you for having me. Mm, it is my pleasure. I'm so glad we got to talk. You know, when Asha talked about how her world has expanded since she became an entrepreneur, it resonated so much with me because this is exactly how I get to meet such amazing people like Asha. Be sure to give her a follow at Kula Foods so you can continue to follow along on her journey. And hey, somehow we're at the last episode of 2023. So thank you for continuing to be a part of the All Sorts family. Let us know who you'd like to talk to or what topics you want us to cover in 2024 over on our own Instagram at the All Sorts Pod. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All Sorts Podcast, which is produced by myself and edited by Brian McCalman. We are grateful to live and work on the unceded and ancestral territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. If you loved this episode, please consider sharing it with someone you think would love to hear it. And be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss a single episode of the pod. Until next week, friends, be well. Be well.